welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Tom. Hello. And we've got another Samuel Fuller, our first one in probably long time. 200 films time. <laughs> yeah, at the very start. Yeah, we had two films, a double feature, Naked Kiss. And Shot Corridor. Shot Corridor. I do recall really liking them. I think Naked mm. Kiss particularly. The opening of Naked Kiss is like one of those things that sticks with you. It's like the, the reveal with the bald head and the wig coming off and stuff. And that yeah. like crash zoom in. like Pulpy fun. Yeah. I remember really liking Shock Corridor with it being the um, the sort of journalist in the mental hospital kind of thing. And yeah. Interesting stuff. But we're back with another one of his films. Uh, we are watch- we've watched uh, Pick Up on South Street from 1953. So approximately 10 years prior to the other two. Yes. This is a bit more reserved. It's still quite edgy, I think. Yeah, this this is sort of in the time period for Fuller where he was kind of a workhorse director for the studios. Kind of, he built up a great reputation as a really solid, interesting filmmaker and was just kind of, you know, they'd be like, we've got this idea for a picture. How about you do that? And he'd be like, all right. <laughs> like, Well, he did the screenplay. He yes. Did, he wasn't responsible for the story, but he writes and yes. directs. Yeah. He, yeah, it was one I believe was... I'm sure I've got it written down somewhere. But, um... Yeah, actually, I've, I've got the full history here if you want to just hear it now. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Uh, so, Daryl uh, Zanuck, who was the head of 20th Century Fox at the time, had Fuller under contract. And uh, there was a script um, by Dwight Taylor called Blaze of Glory. Uh, they were going to make that. It was about a woman, a lawyer, falling in love with the criminal she's defending on a murder trial. Uh, Fuller, he kind of liked the idea, but he had actually been a uh, criminal journalist before becoming a filmmaker, and was just like, no, that stuff's real long and boring, <laughs> like actual oh, yeah. court cases. The court cases, yeah, <laughs> like run real long. Yeah. So he uh, he said to uh, Zanuck, like the head of the studio, like instead of doing that, can I do a film about a like lower class of criminal, like you know the kind of seedy underbelly stuff, like a pickpocket or something? And Zanuck was like, yep, go for it, and he um, came up with the idea and. They had ended up having to change the title uh, from Pickpocket because Zanuck thought it was uh, too European. <laughs> what makes that European? I don't. Know. I mean, it, I mean, around this time, if not a little bit before, there was a Robert Bresson film called Pickpocket, so okay. that might be okay. something. But um, yeah, it ended up um, so Fuller got this idea and started uh, ended up researching and interviewing a bunch of police captains. Actually, uh, one captain, uh, Dan Campion. Uh, from the New York Police Department to kind of get background on stuff and he's the guy that he based Tiger off of actually okay so yeah so there we have it that's the backstory so we should probably talk about the film and the plot (laughs) (laughs) that all leads into Samuel Fuller making this film about a pickpocket by the name of Skip who unknowingly I love the names I know Skip McCoy Candy yeah yeah Tiger, yeah. <laughs> Mo, <laughs> uh, who unwittingly one morning on the train uh, picks the purse of a young woman who also unknowingly is a transport for stolen government documents for the Communist Party. Yes, that's right. A microfilm with secret government knowledge is lifted. It's it's a it's kind of you know it's a typical film noir complex plot. Yeah. You kind yeah. of trip over the the plot points here and now. Like as I'm even thinking about it, it's I mean it flows really well throughout the film. Brilliantly, there's a yeah. lot going on. It's it's when you're watching it, you're like, this is a very simple setup. But then when you try and articulate it, you're like, but then this person's double crossing that person who's double triple crossing, and That's right. suffice to say, Skip accidentally steals a microfilm that 
is uh, stolen government secrets that it is supposed to be going to the communists. He then starts to play all sides off to his advantage, uh, whether it be the cops trying to get the and the government trying to get the film back, um, the communists trying to get the film, uh, Candy wanting love. <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting we'll, aspect. Of we'll the get film. into that, but yeah, and it's uh, just, and she's unaware that, that her ex boyfriend is a communist, and she's unaware that she's carrying some secret government information. Yeah. Um, now. She is it's clearly it's clear that she if she had known what was going on, she would never have done any of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always found that she is kind of simple, um, certainly in the, the first half where I mean, even when she under, she learns what is going on, that she's moving information for the cover with for the Communist Party mm-hmm. and skip figures out, yeah, this is this is pretty hardcore information and it's the communists are after it and you must be a communist because you're helping him out. Yeah. She still wants to go back to the communists and declare that she knows precisely who the... Com- you guys are secret communist agents and I'm here... Yeah. ...with you, telling you this information, putting myself at risk. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see why you could... Yeah, the viewing the simpleness there, but I think it's more for the sake of us, like, just narrative progression like you can't have her just you, you need someone to explain and propel the story forward to sure. the to get the communist and that kind of third act going and i guess it kind of works in the sense of who she is and what she is as a character the fact that she is a a working girl like you know um yeah also kind of you know down on her luck and things and so it, it's kind of believable in the sense that she feels beholden to a man in power, in particular one that seems to be domineering over her in a relationship and a kind of employee-employer position with the ex-boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, I'm clutching kind of at straws there, but, like... I, I agree with you that, that it, the film tends to fall into the... I enjoy the film quite a lot. Yeah. But it does fall into that trap of uh, some kind of tropic film language where it's just, like, the girl's got to fall in love with the... With the, the protagonist, the, you know, there's... Yeah. She falls in love with Skip um, over nothing straight away. Oh, that's my one problem with the, the film, so, yeah. And, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's odd in that regard where you're going, oh, okay, I guess mm. she's the, the love interest all of a sudden. Mm. But, like, putting that, as, putting that just aside for a sec, um, I think her as a character, like, being kind of just do as I... I'm told and kind of go through the motions and be the kind of middle person I think is a byproduct of uh, who she is as a cat, like being a prostitute and stuff. And that's just what her life is. And that's why she kind of is willing to do all of that and kind of put herself in these dangerous positions and, you know, get slapped around and things because it's to her, it's like, motherfucker, it's Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Like she's just kind of used to it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Oh, well, okay. I mean, okay, so she does get slapped around. Mm. Um, she gets, uh, well, okay. She falls in love with Skip, despite having been beaten up by him, um, having beer pulled over her by him, and also him robbing her. Sucker punched unconscious, and then he pours beer on her to wake her up. And, and then, then steals her money yeah. from the purse. And she's like, I love you. Yeah. Um, That's my one flaw with the film, is the unbelievable kind of romance that ends up kind of evolving between Skip and Candy. It is 
seemingly out of nowhere, and I think it is just a whole... Because, bizarrely, this is a major studio film. Yeah, yeah. I think it is just a, we gotta attack on a happy ending. Like, you gotta, you gotta have Definitely. a little romance in there. It, it's... I think both actors do a great job trying to sell it <laughs> as best they can, but it's, it's the most... She's, really? We're doing this now? Uh, what's her name? Jane Peters? Yeah. That's uh, Candy, uh, the actress that plays Candy. Um, she's very sassy and she holds her own mm. to, to an incredible degree. I think despite even those kind of shortcomings of the character, she's still really strong. From that opening scene where it's like all, like, you know, it's just noise on the train, the subway and things while Skip is picking her pocket before you even know what the whole setup and everything is. Skip's kind of thing is like, you know, using a newspaper in the one hand and like kind of eyeing the person off, like while looking at the newspaper she is glaring at him mm. because it's like, why are you staring at me kind of thing? And you're like, this is a strong, interesting woman, like, that she's just staring down a man who's looking at her on the train. Yeah. Like, she doesn't know she's being pickpocketed, but it's like, that's right. right from the get-go, you're like, there's something about you that's kind of ballsy and bold and you're kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I want to talk about the casting, actually, first, since we're on... Yeah, there, there's a bunch I've got on that, actually. Yeah, because um, kind of interesting. So, Fuller... She came to audition and straight away he's like, oh, I don't want, don't want to have a bar of you. You, you kind of wanted a role, a lady in the role that was not your typical um, Hollywood beauty, I suppose you would call his, it. His first choice was Shelley Winters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, she was actually originally cast, but then she had to drop, she had to drop out of the role. And then uh, Betty Grable was assigned the role, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but, uh, she ended up not taking it because she didn't want it. She felt it was being downcast if she played a prostitute. It's like, all right, that's, that's, that's your choice. That's a a kind of side note. It's mentioned, but it's not, and she never has to do anything with that aspect of her character. No, I know, but it is, I mean, I, I can understand like older generation actors and like, you know, in the 50s and stuff being like playing a prostitute or something is was considered lowbrow I guess so that's why she ended up dropping out of the part um, and apparently she really wanted it apparently she was begging for it and she was going to cause problems really in the I... production um, now yeah that's what oh I... no sorry I've got it wrong here actually Grable um... so no sorry my bad it was Shelley Winters who turned down the role because it was a prostitute Is sorry I had that totally wrong yeah yeah I uh, so. apologies Betty Grable <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't mind. But uh, she actually had to drop out of the role because she was pregnant. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay. So Shelley Winters is pregnant. Yeah. Uh, Oh, no, no. Betty Grable is pregnant. Betty Grable is pregnant. Shelley Winters is uppity and doesn't want to play a prostitute. (laughs) Okay. Um, And then... Jane Peters is like, I want in. Yeah. Uh, Now, yeah. So anyway, back, back to Jane Peters. Uh, Fuller says, I don't, I don't want you in because you look too beautiful. Now... Then he has, they have like a kind of lunch. She walks into the lunchroom and she's bow-legged. She has a bow-legged style of walk. And Fuller says, you walk like a prostitute. <laughs> wow. Okay. Which is, I don't know how I feel about that. That. <laughs> but, but he says, that's good for the role. Yeah. And then he, then he says, let's do an audition. Yeah. Despite how you look, you look beautiful. You, you walk like a prostitute. You got Let's the wall. Let's see if you can talk the talk. And she turns out to be really intelligent yeah. and sassy. Yeah, she is great in the and that thick New York accent she's got going. Yeah, I really I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the wife of Goodfellas kind of sass. Yeah, yeah. Sass talk. Just able to hold her own with the boys and stuff and yeah. 
That's yeah, good. she's up against what's the what's the, Skip's the actor Skip? Because um, this is classic film noir stuff, you know. Why like, am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? I'll just click the with W. Yeah. What? What? Nick? Widnick? Uh, Richard Widmark. Widmark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now he's the the classic. This I really I enjoy this film on the level of if you if you picture a, a particular like the the old film noir style of thick New York accents and people mm. being you know gruff and tough and all that sort of shit. Um, then Widmark is. He's that. Yeah. It, Very strong persona on screen. This is kind of one of those wonderful meldings of that kind of gruff, gritty, newer style of crime films that was kind of coming out in the 50s and kind of mid-50s, early 60s and things, and melding that with the older 30s, 40s noir. Like, it's... it's Like, you have those interesting gruff characters like Skip and Candy, but still holding on to some of the tropes that had kind of made this genre what it was. Like... There's the noir, like, we'll get into the cinematography and the lighting and stuff, but there's some elements there, but it's also the style and the cadence of of how they're talking, that kind of fast, witty banter that is yeah. just fucking buttery the to the ears. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, especially, I mean, even um, Mo, Thelma Rita plays Mo. Oh. I-, I loved her opening where she comes in and she's... Um, her-, her role in the film is... Uh, an old lady that is familiar with all of the pickpockets throughout town. Yeah. Um, and she's basically an informant. She's the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's an informant, but but everyone seems to like her and, and they're not... She's I like mean, a staple of the, the you know, the, the neighborhood. The underground scene. Yeah, the underground areas and stuff, like... And I loved I loved her opening sequence of, of she comes in and questions... Questions the police officer and says, Now, you saw this guy pick Candy's pocket... And he starts talking about what he looks like. And she's like, what the fuck? I don't give a fuck about what what he looks like. Let's figure out what how he stole. Then and I'll this know breakdown who of, Yeah, this lovely breakdown of like, yeah, he, he held the newspaper in a certain way. He did this with the newspaper. Yeah. Um, he stood, you know, to the, in, right in front and all that sort of stuff. And you go, it's this I guy. Folded over left hand. Ro- yeah. This guy. It felt like a, like, um, like a very old... Tarantino scene or something like that. Yeah, and I, I would get bet money on the fact that that would be something that Samuel Fuller got during his like months of research and stuff, like with the police department. Like this is how they would actually identify someone. Like it's it's that kind of little details like that. Yeah, I, that's that was like that was fifteen minutes in, and I was well, ten minutes even, and I was so engaged straight away. Oh my! And but Thelma Ritter, like the second she walks on screen, you're like. Who, what, why can I watch a f- in, like you always? <laughs> she got an Oscar for that role. No, Oscar nomination. Oscar nomination? Fourth consecutive Oscar okay. nomination. Okay. She, Four years in a row. She This completed her... This was her fourth one in a row for supporting actress. Oh, she just got a nomination. I thought she was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sequence where... Probably the best sequence of the whole film. Um, where she gets candy... Tells her, tells her ex-boyfriend, the communist, where she got the information. Um, you know that Mo's behind is, is the informant. Had been saying, you can, if you go to Mo, you can get the information for where Skip is and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, and Mo puts together that that he's the, a communist, and she says it out loud, and he yeah. says, "Well, now I'm going to fucking." She goes, "You're going to blow my head off." Yeah. And it's just like the delivery, the, the zoom in to the face. It's pretty much played out in one take as yeah, well yeah. with the exception of coverage on the communist boyfriend 
Yeah, there's like insert shots or whatever. And, but-, but otherwise, it's all played out in a single gorgeous one shot of her coming home, packing up her ties that she sells on the side, putting on a record. And the scene plays out over the length of the record, mm-hmm. the side of the record. Yeah. And it's just brilliant. It was excellent. Yeah. It was an excellent scene in, in every respect of the... Of and like bittersweet and things at the very end when yeah. like, yeah, followed up immediately with... She's just getting sent off to Potter's Field, and you're just like, oh no. Like, yeah. how you just. She's not in the film much, but the amount that she's in, you care about her so goddamn much. Yeah. Her performance is very, very incredible. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then there was the pull in, and I think um, the fact that she keeps mentioning, you're gonna blow my head off, you're gonna blow my head off. It's. Uh, the camera pulls away to the record when it stops, and there's the gunshot, and you yeah. don't see the. I mean, today you would. You would there's no crime. You'd it's probably have a, you, you might have even had that and then had like a blood splatter onto the record player or whatever, but like definitely at this time, like with the production code and stuff, there's absolutely no way you would show something like that. It's supposed to be a brutal sequence. Yeah. Today you would have a filmmaker flat out have her head get blown off. Mm. And, but it's so much more effective not having it, just having the emotional gut punch of the record on its final groove kind of skipping there and then, yeah... Yeah, um, it's really good and then later the cops saying like her head got blown off yeah like people keep saying your, her head got blown off so it's like reading a book where you just imagine the most gory brutal thing yeah and it just makes it so it. much sadder and things um, but on that note of like the violence and stuff this film was actually pa- um, had to go through three times to the produ- like to get actually released it got knocked back multiple times uh, mm. for being too violent uh, in particular violence against women and men, like the fist fights and stuff they were like this is too much. Like, you need to... Candy getting beaten is pretty... Yeah. I guess, like... By... It, it, they, they viewed it as excessive and things, so they had... It ended up being knocked back twice. Uh, wasn't going to be... Re- like, you know, no, you need to trim this, otherwise it's going to get banned. And then they were finally able to get it approved. It's so funny, yeah. Um... I mean, this is in the day before, you know, rate, like, you know, G, PG, PG-13, R, all of that. This is just approved, not There's, approved. like, no classification board. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, the, <laughs> the like, morals board or whatever, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, watered down. But but if you look at uh, Fuller's later work in the 60s, like, he kind of gets to go a little bit more nuts. Yeah. I, I th- mean, a lot more nuts. Yeah, I feel that's him kind of... Uh, working in the studio system with films like this it's him mastering his craft of how to expertly set up shots timing lighting editing like getting everything down pat and then the 60s rolls around and he's like i'm gonna just fuck with it like it's see a what i can do board at that point right yeah yeah so, like but i'm thinking of like what he does filmically with things like shot corridor naked kiss and stuff he's kind of taking the tropes and everything that he's established and he knows how to do previously and he's like, let's see what I can do to kind of... What happens if I twist the canvas this way kind of thing? Naked Kiss, they're all way more experimental. Yes, that's the perfect word for it. Like, yeah. It's almost cookie... Like, this film almost in some respects is cookie cutter. Oh, very much so. Um, Like like I keep saying, it is a 20th Century Fox, like, big studio film. Especially with the fucking ending. Yeah. Um... You know, it's like a happy ending. Mm. I still want to talk about the, the film, but I, want, I might as well talk about the ending now since it's kind of brought up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the happy ending of of, uh, of Skip and I mean, it's, yeah, Skip and Candy getting together, even though Skip's intentions towards her is really very vague across the whole film. But yeah. anyway, it's just like, hey, we're we're going to get together and float off into the sunset. 
and you put that scene in the same film as Moe's death sequence and they it just they're so different tonally yeah. and one is just like oh, fucking, this ending's bullshit versus this really amazing sequence you it, it just didn't fit and it did feel like the studio was like we'd need this ending you need to do it, it this way I, I, I totally agree but I think having Moe's death because that obviously comes at the end of the second act like it's that you know pivotal it's down like point dip, and yeah. stuff um it it works really well though as a transition to that happier kind of ending because it's the impetus for the turning point of Skip. Like immediately after that and he's been arrested and for the possibility of Moe's death and stuff and he finds out what's mm-hmm. happened, then you have him going and claiming her body. So she, he and then will pay and get her her headstone like she wanted so she won't be just an unmarked grave at Potter's Field. And that kind of redemption within Skip as a character is then kind of what leads him on to do sure. the right thing, I guess. But, but he doesn't... I'm going to argue on that because I I do agree that he has... I mean, Mo's kind of like a mother figure to him, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, and so almost becomes a revenge tale mm-hmm. where, you know, his effectively his, his mum, the mother figure's been killed and he wants revenge. Let's go out and get the bad guys. Yeah. But... He's not... His arc isn't squeaky clean. No. Um, he, he wants to actually take the microfilm and get the money. Yeah. And it's, and it's actually Candy who's been kind of acting, let's say, simple. Not stupid, but simple. Um, or naive throughout the film. Yeah, she, no one's necessarily smart in this film. <laughs> no, but at the very least, he's going, he says, look, I'm going to go... I have the opportunity to give this microfilm back to the government and be, you know, the quote-unquote good person... Mm. Um, but he doesn't believe them because it is because we have the setup. Like again, great film. It's all set up with Tiger, the police chief, having being suspended for six months because he beat the shit out of Skip so bad and trying to make a rap stick on him and has made him a three time loser. Mm. And so, given the shitty previous relationship that he, Skip has, particularly with Tiger in this police unit. He's just assuming it's all a trick to send him away for fourth strike. You're like, nah. At that, at that point, you feel he's, that he's, there's enough evidence that leads that he's a bit just being a stubborn dick. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's being advantageous. He wants to go get the money off, and he means it. I feel mm. he wants to go get the money off the communists rather than give the film back to the government. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind twenty five thousand dollars in the fifties. That'd be great. Sure, <laughs> sure. But 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 he, I mean, he clearly doesn't want to be a patriot with that whole you were in the. You're waving that flag thing. That's an interesting thing that kind of keeps coming back that I kind of enjoyed the fact that it's... Hang on, I still make... Oh, sorry, sorry. We'll come back to the Patriot stuff because it's it's interesting, the propaganda thing. Apologies, keep going. No, that's okay. Um, But he decides, hey, I'm going to go off and and take advantage of the situation, be selfish and get some money. Mm -hmm. She knocks him out and and says, I'm going to make this decision for you. I'm going to take the microfilm back to the police for the government and say that you sent me. So everyone thinks you're the good person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's intelligent. On So it's almost like Candy has the satisfying arc. Yeah. She goes from some, some naive person to say, I'm actually, I know precisely what to do. And even though Skip is this uh, overpowering individual that I happen to love, I can still knock him out and do what's right. Yeah. So... I've got a question on the, the Skip being a, a good guy, but let's continue with 
uh, the patriotism stuff. Before we get to the patriotism, just that reminded me on that note of uh, her going and, like, giving the film back to the police to then kind of work to set up the communists. What was the police plan there? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I just wrote a note, like, exclamation mark, question mark. Like, what was their plan? Because it ended up with Candy being shot and yeah. another policeman being beaten to death. Yeah, yeah, I've got a note right here. What was their plan? <laughs> I, got, I got a note. I've got a note in my notes that says, um, why was there no police in the next room? Yeah. Uh, they knew that the meeting was going to go down and that she's meeting with a dangerous communist. And they are why theoretically, the why were there no microphones? Why are they not hidden in the cupboard? Like, what? Why are yeah. they down like eight floors on the street? Like, what was their plan? Yeah, I, that, that's all I could. At that point, I looked at the script. The, the film was broken. And mm. I looked at the script and I said, fuck, like, why, why, Fuller, did you not write something better? Because then you need to, you know, it, it then this leads to that, to that. and it, it, it's, an, it's another aspect of the film fell into, like, filmic tropes. We need this thing to happen now. And yeah. this thing needs to follow that. And it's like, yeah, but the cops To get were to this point, we need this street. to happen. Yeah. They weren't in the next room. That, that is... was the other thing that kind of bugged me. <laughs> but otherwise. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Mm. But uh, patriotism, let's, let's go on to that route. Um it is, yeah, the the constant of uh, Skip's sort of saying, like, what are you, you waving the flag at me and stuff, as a person who seems to be disillusioned post-war with kind of what's happening and, you know, America... Like, you can read into, into the extent of, like, you know, America's turned his back, like, blah, blah, blah. It was supposed to be this great ideal and he's just, like, a three-time loser, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, yeah, the film does a great job of kind of showing alternate versions like you know the two two sides of the coin i guess yeah. like uh it does to some extent really push like communism bad yeah but yeah it's, yeah. it's interesting because you don't want to say communism is good no like but at the same time it's definitely got um its political angle yeah uh, and it's wearing it on the um what's the phrase it's wearing, wearing it on, on its sleeve on its sleeve yeah uh which which i which is fine i guess um Interestingly, J. Edgar Hoover met up with you know this. Yeah, I looked this up because I was interested in the whole like. Oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of America First stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the fifties, with the Cold War, it's kind of like oh well, let's let's go into that a little bit. Um, yeah, so J. Edgar Hoover has lunch with Fuller and who's the uh, Zanuck. Zanuck. Yeah. And says, I don't like your fucking movie. I don't like your work. I don't like fully your work fully. I don't like you. Oh, really? Jay Gahoover didn't like something. Yeah. <laughs> Shock <laughs> and surprise. <Yeah. laughs> the man who fucking duped Charlie Chaplin into being deported. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he says, your, your, your protagonist is a, a piece of shit. And I can't believe you're, you're making an anti-hero into the good guy, despite being, like, unpatriotic. Mm. Um. So apparently, yeah, apparently you can't do an anti-hero in the 50s that's against... I mean, he's not even against America. He's just out for himself. Yeah. But because the quote-unquote hero of your film wasn't a downright patriot, yeah, that robbed Hoover the wrong way. But to the credit of both Fuller and Zanuck, they were like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like, go find some more underage boys. Like, go, oh go, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, what I like, fucking whatever. Whoever can has his opinion, and that's 
it, it's, it's a fucking movie. It's very wrong. It's a, it's a <laughs> but, film. Yes. It's, a, um, it's but, almost a popcorn film. But I thought it was really great. Like, the even before you know what we're getting into with the whole communist subplot, of, like, oh, not even subplot, the communist plot of the film, yeah. um, Fuller has it kind of subliminally planted for you because on the train, in the train station, on the street and stuff, all throughout the background are pro-America, anti-communist flyers everywhere and like the propaganda posters he's kind of peppering it in all throughout the film and then once you kind of like in that first kind of 10 minutes they're just in the background there and so is it yeah is there a commentary to be pulled from that Fuller's making is he making some kind of statement with um we've got a where you know it's 1950s it's America versus uh, the communists of the world Mm -hmm. um and I'm gonna make a story about an anti-hero that's just out for himself and, f- and fuck patriotism and fuck the communists fuck everybody I mean you could probably read into that I know like Fuller was a, uh, somewhat of a disillusioned veteran and stuff but I don't I don't know enough to kind of assume <laughs> that possibly but I think like I, I just took it as possibly um, like just window nice window dressing and foreshadowing and setup kind of peppered in background detail yeah. but, but I mean the, the few other Fuller films that we have watched kind of more leans towards he's very fuck you government to sure. some degree but yeah but you could also take it as you want the you want a villain and at that in the 50s a communist is a very good villain to have and again major studio film <laughs> yeah. like yeah with their own political views and all that sort of yeah, stuff but so it's interesting of... because the film is uh, a cookie cutter Hollywood piece to some to, to a large degree mm-hmm. and then you've got Fuller who's clearly um, an experimental filmmaker that's Almost being pigeonholed, I feel, into... See, I don't view it as pigeonholed because of where this comes in his career. I think this is him honing his craft. This is him working and kind of learning to then be able to experiment okay. later. So it is fairly early. Yeah. But, but he started filmmaking when he was quite old. I, like, yeah, because he, he was a journalist to begin with. Yeah. And kind of then went into the filmmaking racket, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I read that he started when he was 36, mm. which is really late when you think about it. Mm. But uh, I suppose the, having the luxury of coming into it late, you have an assured vision and you ain't going to take no guff. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to be pushed around as much as like a 20-year-old. <laughs> of course. Mm. That's right. And yeah, I mean, I, I like his films a lot. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we kind of shit... Like talking shit a little bit here, but on but the whole, it's, it's, I really loved it. Yeah, it's it's not without its holes. Like obviously, the kind of I would have loved it so much more if it didn't end up being a romantic relationship between Skip and Candy. But it ended up being like protege kind of. He took her oh, under. Yeah. Like that would have because it's kind of a little bit of a setup early on when she's kind of trying the first time she goes to his boat shack <laughs> to try and yes. get the film and she's kind of like starts to question and be interested in as like a possible could I do this as a way out of becoming a prostitute and kind of move into a new line of work I'm like oh that would have been so interesting that's more interesting and then seeing them at that final scene where he's like come on and like you know at the police station it's like him with his new apprentice like it would have been great but they yeah unfortunately yeah they've they deflated it a little bit. Just a little bit. But, I mean, other than that and the kind of glaring hole of, like, why was the cop... It's like MacGruber. Like, we're just 30 blocks away. We're 30 <laughs> spots closer. Yeah, but they had meters. <laughs> yeah, they were way too far away. It's yeah. the MacGruber scene. Yeah. Like, shit hits the fan and they're like, we'll be there in 20. 
It's fucking yeah, that, that really irked me. Cole was watching it as well, and she's just like, "What the fuck are they doing on the fucking street?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it is. It's a super enjoyable like noir, not noir. Yeah, like um, l- noir light. Yeah, it's Be- really fun because like the oh my god, we need to talk about the camera work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. You can see so clearly why uh, Scorsese loves Samuel Fuller's films so much. Like, the opening scene when Candy realizes the micro... The, well, what she, the thing she's delivering, she doesn't know it's a microfilm at that point, has been lifted, uh, and she calls up her ex-boyfriend, and he answers the phone, and it's like this dramatic, like, like, Russian zoom on his face. I'm like, this is just straight out of Goodfellas or something here. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of nice touches. There was a sequence where Candy's with the ex-boyfriend and she's, um, I can't, I fucking, it's a, she meets up with him and it's kind of a power play where he becomes a little bit more submissive. You're kind of fucked up and you're going to have to fix things. Yeah. And she stands her ground for this a little all bit. This is all still part of the same delivery that you yep, haven't that's fulfilled. Right. That's yeah. that, it's that scene. And, um, she kind of pushes back a little bit and in that moment she's framed by a door frame yeah. and she's got her arms crossed and the lighting at the back um, behind her is the two lights beside the bed and they're forming the same shape as her so it's just like I just you know there's like a lot of care and attention to frames within frames and the composition and um, mm. that, that's all done with like where you put the camera where you put the person where you put the lighting yeah and, and you're actually visually storytelling you're not just doing it because it looks cool you're trying to actually express something and say something with your visuals it also looks cool and it also looks supremely cool yeah <laughs> um, but yeah no I was happy that it didn't like you were saying noir light like it didn't lean too heavily in because I, I, I love a good film noir but it, it can sometimes bug me when it's just like oh my god enough with like the Star Trek lighting like the fucking yeah, like the beam of light and, and yeah you just want to be like I, I was really glad this didn't end up going that route where it was like real heavy on that it's mm. it's nice light it's got those those few tropes but otherwise it's just a well shot interesting little story yeah yeah I really liked it uh, this is I like this more than the other two we've seen there's a fourth one later mm-hmm. in the collection I think much later. I think there's a couple, oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. White Dog is a White Dog one? Oh, yeah, White Dog is. I think that's Sam Phillips. That's the only one before we'd started this podcast all those years ago that I had seen before. It is a weird schlock film. Okay. You actually um, can see it often on the shelf of uh, Best of the Worst and stuff. And, oh, really? Yeah. And they, oh, really? Yeah, they've got the so criteria. Does that mean it's bad or are they just really... No, like it, it's, it's a great... It is a great schlock film. It is about a uh, dog that has been... Tr- in the South that has been trained to attack black people that gets loose. Wow. Interesting concept. Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen... And it stars Christy McNichol. Um, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it for quite a while, but it's, it's like a weird, fun... I want to say like... 81 even like way later than this um speaking yeah i guess like speaking of red letter it's like it seems like sam fuller would be worthy of the review um especially that kind of thing white dog well it's actually you can see the it's like uh, i love the opening of review where it's just like the pan across all the dvd covers and there's a couple of criterions in there and white dog is one of them actually they've got like that straw dogs uh which is like you know schlocky kind of that's a J movie (laughs) wallowing in human misery (laughs) yeah um but I guess unless you got anything else um I'm looking through my notes I only got like I think the only other one was um like uh Skip has the charm and energy of a young Walton Goggins (laughs) 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't know who that is. Um, Hateful Eight, Justified, uh, oh. Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. He's okay. got that kind yes, of... Yes, he does. He's yeah, got that energy. <laughs> yeah, fair comment. And the only other thing, like, on that note, actually, I picked up a Pulp Fiction reference. Really? Yeah. Uh, the police detective who... Um, when they bring Skip in, and he's just like, hey, put put my icebox back in the river when you're done, or whatever. Uh, it's Wanaki, who is the air colonel, who... Oh, okay, Pulp Fiction, the watch monologue. Yeah. Your father handed to an air serviceman, man by the name of Wanaki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that name sounds so familiar, what is it? And I was like, oh, fuck, it's that, and looked it up, and sure enough, like, on IMDb, it's like... Connections, like, referenced in Pulp Fiction as this, and, yeah. Okay, so Tarantino likes Fuller's work. Oh, how, it, like, but you even said it yeah. earlier in the episode, like, it's yeah, that it's, kind of rich it's Tarantino It's the same texture, yeah. Mm. But, um, unless you got anything else, some trivia? Go for it. All right. So, uh, as we mentioned, the film is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Thelma Ritter, her fourth consecutive year of being nominated as Supporting Actress. Uh, she would uh, then earn another two nominations before her death. So six Never total. won. Never won, unfortunately. Okay. Um, it was also nominated for the Golden Lion at the 1953 uh, Venice Film Festival, where it won the Bronze Lion, and it was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2018, so the last year. So it's in the vaulted Congress, which is pretty cool. Yeah, right. Um, we talked a little bit about like some alternate casting and things for Candy. I'm mentioning, obviously, Shelley Winters, Betty Grable and things. Uh, the other one was Marilyn Monroe sat in on a rehearsal and actually read for the role of Candy. Um, and Fuller said that she had an overwhelming sexuality that was not right for the role. So, obviously, no Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yes, yeah, she was very sexy. Um, the German title for this film is, the English translation is Police Takes Over. Uh, the film is clearly about espionage, but in the German version, uh, the title was changed and the dialogue referred to spying was completely replaced with dialogue about drug dealing. What? So uh, what? Communism being a touchy subject in Europe. Of, in the, of course. Uh, similarly, the French title is called The Drug Port. Where again, all the dialogue about espionage and communists and stuff was altered into a drug dealing plot. So ex-boyfriend is um, part of is a member of a drug ring. I guess. Just try, I'm just trying to yeah, I'm just trying to figure, figure out how that how through that, line. Yeah. And he wants his drugs back, but skips like I'll give the drugs to the government. <laughs> I oh, don't know. Must be yeah, because it's a microfilm. But how does that relate to? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, well, well, what are you going to do? It's a fucking, practically an American propaganda movie, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, it's. I just thought that was kind of interesting that both the German and French versions were just completely changed just, to be about drugs, not yeah. communism. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we've kind of already done most of um, uh, the stuff I had. So, yeah. I was just actually looking to see if the Criterion Edition had possibly one of the French or German versions, because that'd be a pretty damn cool feature to have. Just kind of see like alternate cuts of it's up on YouTube. I don't know if that version's up on YouTube, but yeah, you can actually watch the film on YouTube. Mm. Nice handy um, on that. Um, but the actual that, Criterion edition is uh, it legal or is, pr- is it probably just not. up there illegally? Pro- probably, okay. I didn't watch it on YouTube. No, I paid for it on YouTube. 
Not <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Um, but the Criterion Edition, if you want to track it down and get the DVD, it's still in print as a one-disc DVD that comes with exclusive interview with director Samuel Fuller, made by renowned film critic Richard Schickel. Uh, Cinema Cinema, Fuller, a French television show with Fuller discussing the making of the film. Uh, illustrated biographical essay on Fuller, a complete poster filmography. That's kind of cool, like an art gallery of all his film posters. Mm-hmm. As well as a bunch of uh, stills, lobby cards, original paintings, trailers for eight Samuel Fuller films. As well as the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. Uh, essay by Martin Scorsese this time. Okay. Um, I actually watched... Uh, when I finished the film, I was like, oh... Uh, Oh, I wonder what... I can't really remember what Shock Horror was all about. So I watched the trailer. Mm. It's fucking... It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, in a 50 cents. How, how, yeah, like, how do you market that film? <laughs> yeah. Uh, even Naked Kiss, I think they're charming. Let's say charming trailers. Mm. Batshit crazy charming trailers. Just in an attempt to try and market weird, interesting, yeah. creative poppy, films. Poppy weird crap. Yeah. But I guess that'll probably wrap us up for this week's episode, looking at Samuel Fuller's Pick Up on South Street. Yeah. Yeah. Good film. Check it out, everyone. Like we said, it's not, wink, wink, on YouTube. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, otherwise, uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with a new Ronald Neem film. He's the guy that made uh, Hopscotch and I want to say Charade. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Those this, films are great. This one is called Tunes of Glory. Okay, I'm excited. From 1960. I have not seen it. I know nothing about it. Yeah, he makes really fun films. Mm. So, uh, I guess tune in in a fortnight's time for that. Um, otherwise, here's the debate I'm going to throw out to Tom, actually. Whether in a fortnight's time, it's gonna this episode will, that episode will drop on Christmas. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking then, post-Christmas, we maybe do a, a just a kind of general year wrap-up episode, maybe talk about some non-Criterion films we've seen and liked this year. Okay. That, that could be fun. Yeah, I'll do that. Great. So I'll give you a bit of a list, maybe, or, or vice versa, yeah, if I I'll, haven't seen any. I'll get to work. Hmm. But um, otherwise, if you've got any comments, queries, any of that kind of crap, uh, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at CriterionQuest. Um, and if you do that at the moment you can see me doing a really weird thing where i picked a hundred of my favorite films or a hundred films i really enjoyed for the last 20 years and randomly double featured them (laughs) and they're popping up daily so yeah it's fun finding the connections between the two yeah so uh jump over onto twitter and you can see that happening at criterion quest otherwise thanks for listening everyone and we'll be back with tune of glory in a fortnight uh for this week's episode i'm chris and i'm tom see you next time